Thank you, Luigi. That's the song known as the love song of the Welsh Revival, sung in practically every revival meeting in the country of Wales in 1904. And there, that meeting had significant ramifications as it leapt across the seas here in America. There were churches that were started um, from those who came out of Wales under that great awakening where at least 100,000 were saved in that year, added to churches, and then they came here to America and other places and started churches as well. But that song, Here is Love, it was said that you could leave a meeting and hearing that song uh, die down as you got further away, only to pick it up as you get closer to another meeting on another side of the, uh, of the hills. And so... Uh, it's great to be able to think a hundred years later we're still singing about a song of God's love for us. And that verse that talked about the love of God, His love kissing a guilty world in sin. And what an image and picture of God's love for us. Galatians chapter 5 will find our place and while the children are being dismissed to go to their uh, service this morning. And we're in Galatians chapter number 5. Tonight we'll be continuing our journey in dealing with spiritual warfare. We're moving to the answer and, uh, in this battle and, and how we can have victory, not once in a while, not occasionally, but ongoing victory. Victory is in a person. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I thank God, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who hath given me the victory because it's a person. And um, we're going to see tonight, again, making it applicable in the matter of spiritual warfare. And also after the evening service tonight, we'll be having our second uh, meeting with our ministry, our marriage refresher. And so encourage our couples to, to get back in on that. And, and every, everyone who has signed up for that, everyone who's married, uh, marriage refresher is what we need. And, and it'll be a help tonight, I believe. Galatians chapter number 5, and we'll look at verse number 16, and we're going to not go all the way through the remaining of the chapter, but we're going to take parts of this and um, over the next couple of weeks and understanding as we're getting into the nitty-gritty, the practical aspect of experiencing victory, finding freedom, finding liberty, and what that looks like. But we'll begin our reading in verse 16, so I invite you to stand as we... Pick up with what Paul says. In light of the, the conflict that is taking place when there is not love, he says in verse 6, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, 
of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we have the contrast now in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you. Please be seated. We've been stating for quite some time that the three ways people live the Christian life is by legalism or license or liberty. In fact, we could put a fourth one in there, legalism or license or a hybrid of legalism and license. And so that it's not always as cut and dry, but these would be the realm. These are the, the areas in which Paul has emphasized. Legalism is just focusing on a list, focusing on when it comes to salvation, I'm getting saved because of what I do. It's legalism because you can't be saved by what you do. But in the Christian life, in the realm of sanctification, there is many times that form of legalism that I can gain God's favor and power because of what I do. Now, doing things is significant because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I've commanded you. But the focus of legalism is focusing on me and what I do. However, the issue, the way Jesus wants us to live is by liberty. And what that does is it shifts our focus. Take the same two verses, John 14, 26, I think it is, and John 15, 26, and John 14, John 15, I'm not sure if I got the, the, uh, the verse right uh, of the reference, but he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, John 15, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. The legalist way of looking at it is, give me all the things I've got to do. Show me all those things and let me put them down and I'm going to make sure I did it. Um, obedience, check. Um, uh, doing good for others, check. Uh, and, and just go right down the list. But liberty way of living is focusing on Jesus. It, it is not a trying to coax my will into doing more for him. Is focusing on Him, loving Him. And when I love Him and look to Him and live for Him, He's my focus, He's the, the goal and He's the means. He is the way and He's the end. And when that happens, I'm going to do what He says. It's, it's not the other way around. It's not that I love Jesus because I'm doing this. No, I love Jesus. And therefore, because of that, he enables me to do what I'm supposed to do. So it's a shift in our focus. Why? Because what you focus on is what you depend upon. And so we're keeping our focus in the right place. It doesn't minimize what we have to do. It doesn't minimize the commands. It doesn't minimize the, 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 uh, the law because Jesus said when he came in Matthew 5, I didn't come to put away the law, I came to fill it up. And, uh, and so he is, in fact, when he went to dealing with the law, he said, you know the letter, but I'm going to give you the, the very essence of it. 
And so when you feel like as a good legalist, you've kept the law, but how about the spirit of it? Are you keeping the spirit of the law? In other words, uh, it is not about focusing on it, it's focusing on him. We said last week that the church is a mess that's worth making. Because when you get in, you deal with people, you're dealing with mess. Just like uh, an emergency room, it's, it can be messy. Because they're ultimately not trying to create messes, but they're trying to, to cure the mess and fix the mess. But you've got to welcome it, and the church is much the same way. But the question is, how can we work our way through the mess, through the mess of lives? And the answer, again, is what we're finding in the book of Galatians. And it seems counterintuitive to do this, but we work through the relational messes in the church by leaning into love. Or as Paul says it, as we looked at it last week, verse number 13, by love serve one another. That's the answer. But that answer is easier said than done. What if we don't want to love people in the midst of the mess? What if we don't have any desire to love others? What if there's no motivation to love? It's not easy to serve others and, and uh, serve one another by love, even on a good day. Much less in the midst of a mess, when harsh words have been spoken, when thoughtless comments have been made, and when sides have been drawn and taken. What do we do then, especially when biting and devouring takes place? That's what he refers to in verse 15. But if you bite and devour, what happens when the biting and devouring comes more naturally than loving and serving? Well, Scripture's answer to these questions may at first seem discouraging. And what he tells us, in essence, of what we've read, if, if you can grasp it, and I hope we will. That's why we're going to park on it for a while and, and massage the big idea here so we can get it. But what he's telling us is we do not have the ability to love others as we ought. We're constantly tempted, however, to think that we've got to muster uh, more moral resources from within us. But the fact is, the greater moral resolve we have, it's not going to get us to the place of true love and genuine service. Nor will our doubling down of effort and sincerity and good intentions bring about this answer to working our way through the mess. On the other hand, the Bible's answer that we just read it is entirely encouraging because the Bible teaches us that the love necessary to serve, it does come from within side. It's not the inside of man, but it's the inside, if you're saved, in the place where the Spirit of God resides. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And who is the he that is in us? It is who 1 John 4 declares God is love. And so that love, that wellspring doesn't come from just trying to harness my flesh and, and try to mean it better and try to work some maneuvers in that may look loving. No, you can take uh, uh, apples, 
from an apple tree and you can go and you can tape them onto an orange tree and it's not going to make that an apple tree. And we can take some good things when our flesh is, is, is dominating and corrupting and we can have some good things, but it doesn't mean that this is the stamp where God says, I approve because this is liberty. No, that's not liberty. That's just falsifying some things that may look good. What God wants us to see is that the one who makes all the difference, if you're saved, he literally lives inside. Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives, literally liveth in me. And so this love then comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And unless God pours his love into our hearts, he talks about this in Romans chapter 5, through the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to love people as we ought. What we're going to do is either... Ignore that there's a mess or we're going to avoid the mess and then we're going to cover anytime there's a seeming mess in our life. But serving one another through love becomes, it's all about the Spirit. Rely upon the Spirit of God to work in our hearts so that we can be who, call, who God calls us to be and serve the way God calls us to serve or to put it in terms of the flow of thought here in Galatians. If we don't rely upon the Spirit, we won't be able to do what verses 13 through 15 tells us to do without the reality to which Paul points in verse 16 through 26. In other words, if we're going to serve through love and not devour one another, then we're going to have to capture this thought of verse 16 through verse 26. What is Paul talking about in these verses? I want to give you this thought. And this morning, here's what I'm preaching on. The sufficiency, the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Paul is setting forth the sufficiency of God's Spirit in our lives. In fact, he told us in verse number 16, we're to walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, led of the Spirit. In chapter 6 and verse 8, we're going to get to, we are to sow in the Spirit. And so he's trying to get us as God's people to be utterly convinced that we need to live by the Spirit in the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit because the Spirit of God is sufficient for everything in our life. What is He sufficient for? Well, we saw last week in verse 13 through 15 that the Holy Spirit is sufficient to enable us to fulfill this matter of the law of love. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who is sufficient to enable us all the, the laws, all these things we've got to do in the Christian life. Well, they can be summed up in this matter of love. Love God, love others, love your neighbor as uh, your, yourself. Well, how is that possible? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you tell a person who's not saved, you need your sins forgiven. You need eternal life. You want to go to heaven, don't you? I do. 
I'm going to do it. No, you're not. You can't get there. You can't find it. You can't do anything with your sin. You can't grasp eternal life, but you can depend upon the one who's made provision and will make that uh, available to you at salvation by faith dependence upon him. In the Christian life, we've got much, all this law, all these commands, and he says we can sum it up into this because if you really love God, you will really love others, and therefore all those thou shalts and thou shalt not, you're not going to infringe upon those. You're not going to want to hurt somebody. You're not going to want to slander somebody. You're not going to want to put people down. You're not going to want that. And so you say, that's the answer. It's love. But how do I do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe it's sufficient? Do you believe his power is sufficient? Yeah. You believe his power is sufficient to enable you to fulfill the law of love? Yeah. Do you believe the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient to keep you awake? (laughs) Just throwing that one in there. I'm going to chuck a hymn to let some of you, if you don't wake up. Mm -hmm. I'll do it in Christian love too. Amen. All right. You'll just think your wife did it. So it wouldn't matter. But sufficient to overcome the, the self life so that we can fulfill the law of love. But Here's what we're going to focus on this morning. The Holy Spirit is also sufficient to help us to overcome the flesh. The flesh. What is the flesh? Uh, We'll talk more about this. We're just giving you the, 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 we're going to capture this and then we're going to get into it later at another time. Get into a little bit more nitty gritty, but we're going to give you this passage. Let's get the big idea. But if we take the flesh and and you write out this word, and if you have something to write down, you maybe would want to do it. Just write out F, L, E, S, and H. And then if you were to take that word and you remove H, and you look at it backwards, it's self. You want to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about flesh, we're talking about self. You see why the Bible gives us such an emphasis upon denying yourself? It's dealing with flesh. And without him, we have self. And so he's given us the power, sufficient power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome our flesh. Now look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What an amazing promise. This promise guarantees victory over self and flesh in the warfare of daily life. You walk in the Spirit, you will not yield to self. You will not be overtaken by self. Now, in in the Greek, it's very strong. It's extremely strong. And this is the way you would read in the Greek. If you walk by the Spirit... You will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm telling you, this is strong. But what happens is when we live defeated lives, we tend to look at these verses and say, now what is the real meaning there? Because it can't really mean what it says, because that's not happening in my life. 
Well, don't, that's not how we as Bible believers approach the Bible. As Bible believers, we've got to say, if that's what the Bible says, and I'm not experiencing that, something is wrong with my experience, not with the inspiration of God's Word. So Paul's confidence in the Spirit of God is boundless. And now, the flesh is strong. There's no doubt about that, and he, he points that out. But we must fully believe that the Spirit is stronger than the flesh. And all of us know that anyone who's tried, sometimes you've experienced, perhaps when you've tried to do better is when you've struggled even harder. When you attempted, I'm going to live for God, no looking back, is when you experience more defeat. And when you are a nominal Christian, it seemed like you had no real battles. Why? Because of exactly what Paul's trying to point out here is that there's a battle. But the Spirit of God most certainly ensures for us victory over every battle. You don't have to live in defeat, shocked by victory. You should be living regularly in victory if you're saved because the victor lives inside and you ought to be shocked by defeat. Why? Because of the promise, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Well, simple answer is why? Why would we not in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh? Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. See, the only one who sins is I, not him. And when I depend upon him, I get what he does. You get that? All right, how am I going to heaven? Because I can't get there. But when I depended upon him, it became a done deal, and he's promised to take me there. I am a child of God, not because I could become one. I can't. But it's because of him. I was born again, not because of what I did, but because of what he did. And when I called upon him, put my dependence upon him, him, took the gift of eternal life salvation, he regenerated, he redeemed, he justified, he did the saving. And it's no different today as his child. I can't do this. That's the whole point. You can't, but he can and he will when you by faith dependence walk in the spirit. Now he says in verse 17, again, he's not hiding the fact there's a battle. Paul explains that the Spirit's victory over the flesh, this is going to be a battle. The mutual antagonism between the flesh and the Spirit, it's a battle, but it doesn't end in a stalemate. It doesn't just have to be a battle and this is going to be this way and oh well. You know, sometimes people think of the battle, it's this, uh, this, these two uh, dominant uh, black dog, white dog, whichever one you feed is one who's going to win. And, and the problem with that is that we make them out to be equal entities. My flesh, pretty bad. But against God? I mean, that's like Chihuahua versus a Rottweiler. It, it, there is no comparison. It's like the people uh, uh, of Israel saying, we can't go out against those Philistines because we're uh, grasshoppers. 
And the perspective needed to be settled. And so we've got Caleb and Joshua who said, well, you're right, but those Philistines, those giants in comparison to God, they look like grasshoppers. And so you got to understand, yes, there's a battle, but a battle of, of a Chihuahua versus a Rottweiler? I mean, even if the Rottweiler is, is blind and dumb and, and, and lame, it still can pretty much whoop that little nuisance that is more like a cat than, a, than of the, the dog persuasion. And I'm sorry if I messed up anybody's. We traveled in evangelism, so we were on the road 40 weeks out of the year. Our home was our fifth wheel, and so we talked about getting a dog, and I, I thought we would get a little dog. We looked at these little dogs because we got a little, little place to live. I mean, our, our, our home was, was, was fairly small. I mean, it looked big compared to the vehicle, but when you're living in it, I mean, it's not a lot of room. You don't even, you don't even have room to change your mind in there. And so we're looking for something little. We'd pull into the truck stops to get diesel, and and, um, and as we would have these times of thinking and praying, we prayed about the animal that God would have us to get and talking about, I always kept going back to this little, we got to have something little. And my wife would point out at these truck stops, these big old truckers get out of that truck and many of them rolled out of that truck and, and then they'd pull their dog out and you get this trucker and um, big old burly guy and, you know, his tank top and, and um, he's got his, uh, uh, a dog but his dog was this little, prancy, prissy-looking animal. And it's when you have a dog that you know could be taken out in the first round by any cat on the block. And my wife would say, now look at it. Is that how you want to look? I said, minus the tube socks pulled up to the knees. And uh, no, I don't. So we got a pit bull, and that's what we, we, we had Mesa for a good 12 years and, um, before uh, she went to heaven. And so, um, and that's a whole other theological discussion. I know people said, do you really believe dogs go to heaven? Well, mine did, and so I don't know about yours. And that's a whole other series, and uh, we'll get to that another time. But anyway, do you see what I mean, though, that the fight... We feel we're losing a lot of times, but it's not equal. I mean, this is God. And I think, I'm telling you, I'm not smart enough to, to put these series together of Galatians and the spiritual warfare. I just said yes to God when doing these. But I see that these go together because this battle that is raging, it's a real battle. And there are many times where I feel like my flesh has said, checkmate, you are a loser. You'll never win in this. And God says, oh, but you forgot about me. And God is great. God is never sweating bullets. He's not sitting there with any kind of, uh, of fear. God is just waiting for us to look to him. And so resisting this flesh of ours, listen, get this down. Resisting the flesh is not about willpower. It's not. Trying to stop wrong habits, trying to not sin. It's not about willpower. It's about the Spirit's empowerment. It's about the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our lives. In fact, if it's not about, it's, it's not even about overcoming the desires of the flesh 
with the Spirit's help. And there again is how I think many have misunderstood the Holy Spirit. We look at them as this energy pack we attach on. I need the Spirit's help so that I can overcome. Resisting the flesh is not about willpower. It's about the Holy Spirit's empowerment. And it's not even about overcoming the desires of the flesh with the Spirit's help. But rather, it's the Spirit's victory as we're depending upon Him fully. So it's not about willpower. It's about surrender to the Holy Spirit. It's not about, I'm going to do the best I can, need Him to help me. No, no. It's about, I can't do this, and it's about me surrendering to the Holy Spirit. When we find ourselves frustrated by the desires of the flesh, how do we avoid discouragement? What keeps us engaged in the fight against the flesh? Striving against a short temper of bitterness, jealousy, indulgent desires, gluttony, lust, despondency. And sad is the child of God who has signed a truce with his sin because he has so little confidence in the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God is sufficient to enable every one of you every day in every way to overcome the flesh. Let me give you just a few things quickly here about this. Verse 16 and 17, he points out again the conflict. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a conflict. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, that you're not able to do the things you want to do for the Lord. There's that conflict. If the Holy Spirit, however, controls the body, then we're walking in the Spirit. But if the flesh controls the body, self controls the body, then we walk in the lusts and desires of the flesh. We have a conflict. And these, the flesh and the Spirit, self and God, they have opposite appetites. Our, our self is always looking for something unclean to feed on. But the new nature... The resurrected new nature in us where God resides is always yearning for that which is clean and holy. No wonder the struggle goes on. And he says that you simply cannot overcome the flesh by willpower because these are contrary one to another. It's the problem that Paul discusses in Romans. Remember in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Even the things I hate, those are the things I do because there's that conflict. But not only is there a conflict, he's pointing out that we cannot win this victory in our own strength, by our own will. But verse 16, he talks about a conquest. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a conquering, there's a conquest. Verse 18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Why? Because there's a conquest. Just as Jesus is the primary person behind justification, salvation, the Holy Spirit is the primary person behind sanctification, helping us grow in maturity as a child of God. 
You and I can no more sanctify, grow ourselves than we could save ourselves in the first place. We cannot live the Christian life by our own resource any more than we could save ourselves by our own resources. <clears throat> so Paul gives us the clear command, verse 16, walk in the spirit. Walk is in the present tense. It means right now. Right now, present tense, and it indicates a continual, regular action. It's also in the imperative mood, meaning this is not an option. It is a command. So the invitation is based upon the, the truth. God commands right now, every one of us start walking and keep walking. What does it mean to walk? Well, walking is used in the Bible to picture progress from one destination to another. Moving from where you are to where you ought to be. And spiritually, it represents the process of this maturing, knowing God and experiencing God. So at salvation, it's an event. And I compare this all the time to a, uh, this idea of marriage. Salvation would be the wedding event. It's a one-time event. You depend upon Christ. You received him and what he had to offer as an event. The Christian life is now walk in the spirit. The, the idea of getting married, the wedding is the event. Marriage is the continuation of what was pledged and what was transacted. And so walk in the spirit. I am now doing the same thing I did at salvation. I'm depending. I can't get saved on my own. I need a savior. I can't live the Christian life. That's why it's not called the Ingram life. It's called the Christ life. It's Christian life. What does the Ingram life look like? It looks like self, self-life, flesh. And so what I can do is, hey, the way I got saved by depending upon him, that's what I do. And when I depend upon him, I experience what only he can do. So the solution of the conflict of the flesh is not to muster up our will against the flesh, but to surrender to the Holy Spirit. David Jeremiah said it this way. I'm going to read you his thought. He says, we are commanded to walk in the spirit. It is simply a matter of obedience that we must be willing to let God be God in us. We must allow ourselves to be controlled by the spirit. All of God's resources will be available to us if we simply let the spirit of God take control of our lives. D.O. Moody was going to have a campaign in England and an elderly pastor protested, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, he's inexperienced. And who does he think he is anyway? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a younger, wiser pastor rose and responded, no, Mr. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But it sure seems that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. See, walking in the Spirit will always be according to His Word. Now, here's the danger. Here's why some preachers are afraid to preach on this matter of honoring the Holy Spirit. Because they've seen people go to excess, you know, wildfire. And they do it in the name of God told me. The Spirit of God told me to do it. Well, God gave us the Holy Spirit not for wildfire, but to actually put it out. And one of the ways you can always tell whether or not something is of the Spirit is whether or not it is in keeping with the Word of God. 
And, and, and the Word of God's our authority. It's our guide. It's objective. The Spirit of God, however, is subjective, but He doesn't lead contrary to the Bible. It's like if somebody stands up in the middle of the service and said, God told me I need to say this, and they start saying something. And then they start speaking with some words that are unknown, not discernible, speaking in tongues. But God told them to do that. And everyone says, well, I'm, praise the Lord. He's following the Holy Spirit. And we say, that's blasphemy because God's Spirit wasn't in that. You see what I mean? Well, God told me I needed to hijack the service. And, um, and I, I just feel so bad. Brother Autry, he never picks my song. And I just believe we ought to be singing right now song number, whatever, and, and they just start belting it out. Well, God has given us some ways in which we know what to do in a service, and there is a leadership factor. And there are some things that, that um, help us know whether or not that's really of self or of the Spirit of God. Sometimes you may see it even this way, that... <clears throat> Somebody gets up and sings and people, and I know this, this is, uh, some of you have experienced this and you've seen this, but I'm just wanting you to think. And some will, will get up and they'll start moving and, and, and they'll go and they'll pray at the altar and the song is done and they're still there. They get kind of loud and they're praying and they've got huddled up and, well, God has told me, I've got to preach. But the service got hijacked. You say, well, we know what's going on in their life and they're really hurting right now and that song really got to them. Well, the message is going to get to them as well. You don't want us to pray with them? No. Wait till after the invitation is closed. You've got all afternoon. You have all night long. I've never prevented anybody from praying. I'm just saying if I'm praying, for example, on deal with your bitterness, now's not the time to go pray with somebody because they're going to have a serious surgery coming up during the invitation. Why don't you let the invitation do its job? It's not your service. It is part of the overflow of the message. Now put it into action. Why hijack that and go and do this? Because I really feel compelled. No, what you really felt was you, you heard the piano play and you really feel that this would be a good time for you to do what you want to do and go pray with somebody. Praying with them is serious and sincere, but you've got all stinking afternoon, all night long to pray. Why don't we do it then? Well, I just lost a lot of camp meeting services there, didn't I? I show up at your house, knock on the door. I say, it's time for us to eat. I really feel God's telling me we need to have this meal and it needs to be done right now. You'd say, preacher, you're out of your mind. But I'm saying how we can fall into that mindset even here. Well, God told me I need to stand up and tell everybody how bad pastor is. 
Well, Timothy does say how to do that. And you, you will not say anything that's more or worse than what my wife could tell. <laughs> I'm not worried about that part. But I'm worried about someone who is deceived and delusional to think God tells you, I got to fix it my way. You know, hijack a prayer meeting. Got to point it out. And by the way, Paul does say, again, I mentioned Timothy, that you've got a certain amount of witnesses that have to be privy to that. And you need to go to the right people that's involved. And if you don't do it that way, you are not led by the Spirit, ma'am, sir. You were controlled by the flesh and you were deceived by the evil one. See, the Holy Spirit writes God's laws on our hearts. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. See, being led of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, they're the opposite sides of yielding to the flesh. In fact, if you compare Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, both talk about being, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3, be filled with the Word. Because you can't be filled with the Spirit without also being filled with the Word. You can't honor the Spirit without honoring the Word. You can't honor the Word of God without honoring the Spirit of God. And they don't conflict with one another. Let me give you this. And we're not going to go into it. just want to mention it for the, the sake of the, the context, the outline. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to enable us to overcome the flesh. And we find that in the area of the conflict. There's a conflict. We find, however, that there's a conquest. We can win over the flesh. And the answer is found, number three, in the crucifixion. And this is verses 19 through 21 and verse 24. But we're going to hold off. We'll get into this one another time. I want you to see this is not the end of emphasizing this. We have to honor the Holy Spirit. He is sufficient for everything that we need. Flesh is self. How much of self is opposing the Spirit? Let's get revived this morning. If you need to be saved, let's get saved. If you as a child of God, need just to get back to the refreshing supply of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let's get back to Him the same way we, we got saved. By faith, trust and take what He has to offer. Let's stand together, please.